Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there. Are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. I think early in my career, I sort of just recognized that I was always going to be different and I was going to make that difference a source of power and embrace it. I had to, earlier in my career than some, just get really focused on who I was and who I wasn't. And sometimes that was going to fit the mold and a lot of times it wasn't. When you're me and you look upwards and there's literally nobody that looks like you, you kind of acknowledge, oh, I have to forge my own path. And sometimes it's lonely, but it's going to be yours. And then I'm trying to be empathetic to those who are different because I spent my whole career, frankly, working with people who are different than me. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, I feel like we're unearthing a trend together of people who grew up as marketers who become CEOs. It is really nice to see. I think there are so many different paths one can take to the CEO from other areas within the C-suite, but the CMO route has historically been almost like down there with the CHRO. And I'm not saying that that's wrong or right. I'm just saying it's just, it's not the most traditional of paths. I'm very pleased to see it as a marketer. I'm very pleased to see it. I think it's a strong signal that the changes in the customer journey in the overall consumer ecosystem are so dynamic that finally, you know, boards across the world recognize that putting someone in the executive seat that deeply understands the consumer can actually impact the P&L. Well, you raise another really good point, which is that CMOs are becoming more board members as well. So seeing the migration from a CMO to either CEO or boards is a great path for those who are trying to figure out, where do I go from here? Other than chairing uh, a can jury, for example. Not like there's anything wrong with that. But if we look at some of the people that we know, Lauren Hobart, who we had on the show, right? marketing at Pepsi, moves into Dick's Sporting Goods as a marketing role, becomes CEO. You have Jeff Jones, who is the CMO of Target. A few years ago, he becomes the CEO of H&R Block. 
another Pepsi alum, Seth Kaufman, becomes the CEO of Moe Hennessy. And now... And now we've got Yinwoon Rani, who has been CMO in multiple different companies and is now the CEO of MilkPep. It's so awesome to see, especially someone like Yin, who's been so outspoken around diversity and inclusion and you know everything that she's doing at a leadership level to really build culture, not just within milk prep, but the overall ecosystem. Yeah. When I met her a few years ago, one of the things that really stuck out to me was how proud she was of being different. And that's always been something that I'm, I've been proud of over the years is, is just embracing your individuality and saying, yeah, I don't look like everybody else. I don't really sound like everybody else. And that's okay because different is memorable. And Yin is always stood for that. But I think even more so over the past year, I think the more you move up in the world, the harder it is to retain that individuality because that could be very polarizing. Not with her. I just realized, Sarah, why I like you. Now? It took you this long? That's our 51st episode. (laughs) Well, let me remind you, this podcast was your ideas and you invited me. So if you didn't like me before or you couldn't figure out why, God bless. Still remains one of my best decisions of the past year. As opposed to, I, I want to know like where, where, where that sits in the pecking order, Rachel. Very high up. Very high up. Fair enough. You did buy a house in the Catskills. So if it's still, if, if it's up there, yeah. I'll take it. Well, with all of this, let's bring Yin onto the show. Today, we are happy to have Yin One Ronnie, CEO of Milk Pep. And for those of you who don't know what Milk Pep is, I think that's a really good first question. Yin, you want to kick us off with that? Yes, thank you so much for having me. MilkPep is the organization that exists to encourage Americans to drink more fluid milk. It's probably best known for the Got Milk campaign that we were able to bring back last fall. That was fun to see it back, but very much back with a twist. I like the way it was modernized, although I do think that Aaron Burr spot might be one of the most memorable. (laughs) That was really great to see you really modernizing it. I don't know if that was like your big like first moment of joining MilPep saying this is not your father's milk campaign, but it was quite good. I always try to not talk about bringing it back, but bringing it forward. Forward for a social media generation because it really was built around UCG and sort of celebrating all the milk love we saw during the pandemic and turning the camera back on how much Americans loved and enjoyed milk so many different ways. And the funny thing is everyone's like, oh, it was your cunning plan when you came back. You had this all worked out in your head. And the practical reality is what we actually had was a year full of Olympic programming for the year of 2020, which at some point in March and April crumbled below my very feet new CEO amidst lots of other things. And I was like, well, so there goes that well laid plan. And so, you know, God bless the team and the agency for being resilient and agile and creative. And we had this notion of the UCG campaign and they looked at lots and lots of different lines. And then they came to me and they said, what do you think about bringing God Milk back? And so I spent an agonizing weekend sort of just making sure I was doing it for the right reasons, if that makes sense. Like I didn't want to do it just because it's a celebrated iconic campaign and who in marketing doesn't want to be associated with it. But there was lots of good consumer reasons why we brought it back. And so I'm really excited we did. Well, I literally grew up with kids collecting Got Milk ads. So bringing it back is probably a genius move. You know, the pandemic, while it did throw you for a whirlwind, it actually increased milk consumption because everyone was home. Now that we're reaching a more post-pandemic world, 
How do you keep up with consumption? How do you encourage people to keep drinking milk? No, it's a great question. And one that we at Milkpep and the whole industry spends a lot of time thinking about. We saw a lot of kind of classic behaviors emerging during the pandemic. We know milk at breakfast, milk on cereal. We just launched a couple of weeks ago a new campaign trying to position milk as the Olympic sports drink and really trying to encourage a new, more unexpected use of milk, particularly in connection with our Olympic sponsorship, which actually gets to happen this year. So a lot of it is about what we talk about is reconsideration of milk and being not the milk that you know and expect, but trying to find new use cases and new occasions. The science is great, actually, on milk as a sports drink. It rehydrates, it refuels, it builds bones, it's got great protein content. It really holds its own in that space. And so we're hoping to get people to just take another look. Feels like the right timing with, you know, things like muscle milk, the positioning is probably spot on. Yeah. Before we go even further, I I have to ask, are you a skim? Are you a one percenter? Are you whole? What's your story? I do whole in my coffee and one percent on my cereal and whole in my espresso drinks. I'm a big cappuccino latte drinker. So there you go. It makes your cappuccino a meal. It does. It's true. It's delicious. And even with my regular coffee, it's uh, my husband always teases me that I have coffee with my milk instead of milk with my coffee. So <laughs> did you uh, get into the whole Dalgona craze? Yes, I'm so into it. I even taught my 14 year old son to make it for me, which is my mom achievement of the year. And it uses a lot of milk. It's very delicious. And it's very fun to make. And so I taught him to make it for me. And every so often, he'd you know, come in in the middle of a meeting and deliver it to me. And all my teammates would be so impressed that my 14 year old still talks to me. But you know, you'll see trendy milk things kind of like pop up and down all the time. I mean, milk and dairy is so ubiquitous. I mean, it is just all over the place, both in really foundational things and in really trendy things like Dalgona coffee. But that is a delicious one. And then you probably saw the other other ones that weren't coffee based, like you can make it a strawberry and hot chocolate and fruit. And there's a, there's a whole real explosion of social media recipes around around that. One of the things we had in uh, an episode a couple of weeks ago was with the CMO of EOS and how they capitalized on a lot of chatter on TikTok from an influencer about different use cases, if you will. For those of you who haven't listened to that episode, I would recommend that one very much. It's quite entertaining. How do you guys determine what is worth jumping on? What isn't? Is there a level of appropriateness, especially given milk is like literally the most wholesome thing? Like everyone, I think we try to balance making sure we have enough effort around foundational uses. And then we reserve a little bit, I think, of our paid social and syndication dollars around things that are starting to trend. I think we tend to focus a little bit probably more on usage occasions than individuals, I would say. But when we do work with influencers, we work super hard to make sure that they are appropriate. And it's not difficult. I mean, there's lots of wonderful, authentic milk lovers and milk influencers out there. Right right now, when working with our Olympic athletes, so-called team milk, who are in four, well, three new sports and one returning sport, you know, they just have really great real milk stories. As you know, when you work with influencers, especially young people, they just smell it a mile away, right? If you've just bought that endorsement and bought that post, it's just not worth doing, to be honest. So we're super lucky, I think, to be able to find in any arena, but definitely in the sporting arena, great influences, not just from the Olympics, but from many sports over the years who really have real stories to tell. One of them, Ariel Torres, who is our karate champion, like on set, people were like weeping at his story, basically, of how he grew up really not that well off. And milk and ramen were his like meal of choice after training. 
it's wonderful, I think, to find great, strong influences. We always want to be appropriate, as you say, and family-friendly, as you say. But for us, it's really about the realness of the connection with the product. Where does the relationship with the retailers come in for everyone who's listening? We have two kinds of relationships with retailers. One, a lot of retailers process their own milk. So they own their own milk plants. And so they participate with us just like anybody who is a funder of the program. And we have some great retailers on our board as a result. Secondarily, we use uh, retailers and retailer media as a channel, basically, but we do not have direct customer relationships. I'm selling milk, but I don't make any. <laughs> so it's a really using their, their channels and their stores as another outlet in which to influence consumers. Well, you're not much different than Sarah and I. We built e-commerce software, but we don't make the products. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know my, you know my conundrum. <laughs> I don't know who is more wholesome. I think Rachel and I are pretty wholesome. Uh, <laughs> milk is a high bar, Sarah. So, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll accept that. Although I am more of a skim milk kind of a person. Let's pivot for a sec into the job you have now, but more the role and less the milk pep part. Although we can keep talking about that later. First time CEO, right? Mm-hmm. So being in the hot seat for the first time comes with a lot of excitement and a lot of challenges. I know when I first became a CEO, it was the most jarring experience for me only because I would look to the left and I would look to the right for like decision-making. And I realized like the buck did stop with me and I'm like, oh crap, who else can I go to? Can I talk to? And it's a very isolating kind of a job. What are some of your key learnings and advice for those moving into that number one position? Rachel, on the other hand, by the way, has no problem being CEO. First time CEO. (laughs) Yeah, I guess everyone gets here differently. I mean, I always say that this job feels like the job I've been training for my whole career. And I'm very blessed to have it. And I come to work every day feeling very privileged and joyous and frankly, very liberated in some ways because I'm a CEO in a very small organization. And so I have a lot of latitude and autonomy, which I really enjoy. I mean, I say this about every time you come into a new role that you have to be sort of intentional that what got you here may not be the thing that gets you there. And so I think you have to stop and pause and reflect on both your technical and leadership skills, which of those you're going to hold on to because they're part of who you are, what things you have to let go of and evolve on. And so I spent a lot of time in the beginning with my wonderful executive coach and getting very, very clear about what my job really was and what it wasn't. Um, And particularly with some of the deep marketing background, like I'm very conscious of not doing the marketing work for the marketing team. I think of my job really as in setting strategy, allocating resources, building culture, uh, and managing sort of industry accountability. And so I just got really clear, like this was my job (laughs) and I would help others with their jobs. And even though there's some jobs where like all practitioners, you're like, well, I could do that. But, you know, you have to sort of train yourself to be like, well, that's not my job because if I do their job, I can't do my job. And so I just try to be very intentional about going in. I try to remind myself. Of course, it's hard not to get my fingers dirty with the stuff I love to do, but I keep trying to think about going forward um, and what will take me to the future and what can I uniquely do for the organization that nobody else can do. And that helps set some, I think, guardrails on what's a good use of my time. It's a good reminder to Sarah and I every day to ask ourselves, what is not our job? <laughs> yes, even the fun parts, the staying away from the hard parts, I have no problem with. The fun parts, it's harder to be like, okay, back in the way. That looks like fun, but I'm going to let you do that because I'm a good person. <laughs> no, or then you realize people can do things better than you. And those are the magical moments. 100%. 
you know, as a, a member of the API community and a female CEO, you know, you're pretty vocal about your representation. How has this shaped your career and leadership style? It's a great question. I'm so lucky in so many ways. I have great privilege in many ways. I think early in my career, I sort of just recognized that I was always going to be different and I was going to make that difference a source of power and embrace it. And Sarah knows that Campbell's at one point, we had a value about seek the power of difference. And so I think I had to earlier in my career than some just get really focused on who I was and who I wasn't. And sometimes that was going to fit the mold and a lot of times it wasn't. And so when you're me and you look upwards and there's literally nobody that looks like you, you kind of acknowledge, oh, I have to forge my own path. And sometimes it's lonely, as Sarah said, but it's going to be yours. And so I guess I just maybe never had the illusion it was going to be a level playing field, although it was going to be this well-groomed road I was going to travel on. And Denise Morrison always talks about careers, not as ladders, but as jungle gyms. And I think that's true for everybody. But I think if you're a female and a professional of color, it's more of a jungle gym than than normal. And so Mm. I think that's been a big deal about just trying to be thoughtful about who I am. And then I trying to be empathetic to those who are different. Because I spent my whole career, frankly, working with people who are different than me. If I only work with people like myself, it'd be a very, very small, very fine group. So I think you develop a lot of empathy, a lot of influencing skills, a lot of understanding how to position and persuade when you're you're always code switching. You're always trying to stay true to yourself and yet be effective in the group in which you operate. Those are some fabulous lessons. And I feel like I've got to jot all of those down on little post-its and surround my monitor with them. So thank you for that. And as you've looked back at the past year, what's been the biggest challenge for you as a CEO? I mean, new job, pandemic, all this other fun stuff, Olympics getting postponed. I'll be curious to see if it actually happens this year. What's been the biggest challenge that you face? I know this is such a good question. I mean, I think everyone should just be proud they're still standing, to be honest. I mean, it's just been such a year that you could not really imagine that I always laugh. It feels like we're all extras in this really boring disaster movie. And, you know, now we're all the extras behind Denzel Washington as he runs around to save the world are doing. We're all hoarding toilet paper and trying to educate our kids and figure out offices and stuff. I mean, the biggest challenge, honestly, is probably just trying to be a good mom to my 14-year-old. That probably was the biggest challenge because I think the pandemic was hard on everybody, but it was hard on the kids. And my son had to move and start a new school and make all of that work. So in the end, I'm going to say that probably has been the biggest challenge and continues to be the biggest challenge of trying to make sure he was whole and sane and healthy and happy. So uh, all my professional challenges probably pale in comparison to that one. I got to call bullshit on this one because you said your biggest mom professional achievement was getting your son to make you whipped coffee. (laughs) And you're like, and I got him into like, and we moved, I got him to a new school and I got him at all this other stuff. It's like, really? Because I think you're, like you just said, you've dealt with some pretty crazy ass blows. And in the meantime, you have managed to thrive both with your son and in your job. So I think the Dalgona is just more cherry on top kind of a thing. No doubt. But 
<laughs> you you, you got to give yourself a lot more credit. Yeah, no, he's a he's a good kid, and I'm very lucky. But you know, the the fate of working mothers is always to be hard on yourself and always wish you could be more. But I cannot complain. He's a good kid. We have a great relationship, and we're still standing. So go us. <laughs> we have a famous last question, but I'm not sure if you're going to have a different answer than what you just said, which is, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? I have a fun one, though there's many things I've done in my life, which I guess could be considered brave, like moving halfway around the world, potentially. But a fun one is uh, when I left Campbell's kind of unexpectedly, it was only three weeks before my son's summer vacation. So he and my husband and I, we got a one-way ticket to Japan and got on a plane with hotel nights for two nights. And we ended up sort of luxury traveling, backpacking through Asia with no itinerary. So every day we woke up and we didn't know what country we'd be in the next day. We had no hotel bookings and we traveled like that for 10 weeks. We got to nine countries in that time. And I suppose it was brave uh, retrospect, but it was so fun to do and so liberating. And it just kind of established that spirit of adventure. And if you have a credit card and a passport, like how, how far you can get. So I guess that will be a brave thing that we have done together as a family. Your son is lucky. He is indeed. To remind him that, Rachel, the next time you talk to him. I will. <laughs> Yin, thank you so much for joining us today. I think you've given a lot of really great life lessons and work lessons for our audience. And we hope to have you back soon. Thank you for having me. It was fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.